another episode of Pod for Good. I am your chief philanthropod, Jesse Ulrich. And I'm your vice admiral philanthropod, Chris Miller. And Pod for Good is the podcast where we speak to the amazing change agents working to make Tulsa a stronger and better place. Today, we are speaking with Regina Tisdale, the founder of the Wayman L. Tisdale Foundation. We talked about how the Wayman Tisdale Foundation helps uninsured Oklahomans with debilitating costs of prosthetics. We dive into the NBA and what it's like for the family of players and why music is so important to her and her family. Please remember to subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. And if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we will read it on air. So enjoy this wonderful conversation we had with Regina and a guest star who is in the background who you'll hear from time to time. To have uh, Regina Tisdale, the founder of the Wayman L. Tisdale Foundation, on the podcast today. Hello, Regina. Hi, guys. So, basic question we always like to start off with is, in like 30 seconds or so, can you tell us what the Wayman L. Tisdale Foundation does? In 30 seconds, okay, I'll be a sparse No, I won't. Okay. In 30 seconds. <laughs> we, won't, we won't count that against you. <laughs> what we do is we provide uh, prosthetic devices for uninsured, particularly for the most part, Oklahomans. Uh, When Wayman and I went through our process, we did not um, know how expensive it was. So during our that part of our lives, and we uh, we spoke with the persons that we use, Scott Savage Prosthetics. I think one day we asked God, how many people do you turn away? And when he told us how many he's able to help with grants and how many he turned away, Wayman looked at me and said, you know what, we're going to revamp our foundation. We're going to start, we're going to help uh, because we weren't finished with Wayman's process and we were already at $50,000. So with Savage, uh, that's, that's how we started. And uh, we've not one time in this nine year span have we had anyone that was had an issue with cancer. All of ours have been diabetes accidents and things like that. But yeah, so in a nutshell, that's what we do. We help uninsured Oklahomans uh, with prosthetic device needs. So how do you find or how do they find you? Uh, there's a place on our website on womentisdale.org. There's an application there or uh, but for the first five or six years we went through uh, a tunnel of people through Scott Savage because there were so many that they would turn away. So initially we would uh, they would call us and say hey we have this person and they're having a hardship or they have a partial funds and um, so we of course have them to send letters into the foundation and we'd read their stories and what happened. And that's how, that's how we get them. Uh, you mentioned that uh, you're focused specifically on uninsured. Um, I've read that even insurance doesn't cover a lot of, of amputations. And, I mean, of prosthetics. Right. Uh, we've, okay. Just like I said earlier, depending on what you're doing, if it's above knee, below knee, mm-hmm. that makes a difference from, Five thousand to ten thousand dollars, and if your insurance only gives you fifteen hundred, then you're 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 stuck. And then Mm -hmm. and then with the fifteen hundred, when you need to do because there's a process, you go in and then you get a a temporary Mm -hmm. uh, prosthetic device, and then you go they go through this molding, and then you go through one sock, another sock. Well, that's something they have to put on it. Mm -hmm. And then uh, if you're a diabetic person, then you deal with swelling and shrinkage and things like that. So by the time you finish, it, you may be at your third or fourth one. Um, so all of that's money. So by the time you get to your final one, you could have spent ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000. And, um, uh, and of course, we spend quite a lot for Wayman's. And 
thank God we had the insurance because mine was six foot nine. Mm-hmm. So ours was a whole different thing for them to, to work through, figure it out. I saw, yeah, I saw the picture of that prosthetic leg. I'm like, that's the largest prosthetic leg I think I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so for the ones that are, only have 1500, what we do is we get them through the, to the final, final prosthetic device that they'll have, you know, with, uh, a few rules and regulations don't gain over 20 pounds, don't lose because it, of course, that makes a difference. And then we get them a few rehab lessons, mm-hmm. you know, on sitting in a car, getting out of the car, getting in the shower. So we, we really, we get them up and moving. We mm-hmm. really do. So you mentioned that at the time it, the foundation was maybe going to be focused on something else it, beforehand. It, it was initially when, uh, Wayman, we left Oklahoma and left OU. His foundation gave monies to students that were students and musicians, of course, because he was. And he used, it was always two high schools and uh, we primarily stayed north. So we would give scholarships to student, students that were athletes and musicians from, it was always Booker T in Central, a Booker T in McLean, a Booker T in Rogers, but every year. Uh, always Booker, Booker T. T. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. So we, we did that for quite a few years and. But then when we saw the cost involved in this, we just felt like this was something that was bigger and we felt like it could go a longer way. I mean, it was something, although the music and of course sports was his life, this, ah, this one just, ah, it was different. It was different. Yeah. There were other people and other foundations that do yes, those things, but absolutely. very few that help with the massive expense that is prosthetics. Right. Because I think, we're only aware of one other foundation that does what we do, at least in our area. And theirs is they give them fifteen hundred dollars and that's, that's it. it. And you don't give Wapa fifteen hundred dollars. I read that when uh Wayman was in the NBA, you were part of an organization, I think it was called Behind the Bench, where you, you were able to do some philanthropic work with that as well. Um can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Um Wayman was uh, every team has a uh uh, a player's rep. And so, you know, when it was came time for collective bargaining, uh, whatever business that we had. So women mm-hmm. happened to be that person for two teams that we were mm-hmm. with. And so we would have these summer retreats. So at one point, one of the wives said, Hey, why don't we start a group? And so, but behind the bench, we did things that involved women and children. So um, if when we would have a retreat, so to speak, where we were in Dallas one year, and we went to uh, to the children to the children's hospital, mm-hmm. and um, then we thought, okay, that one wasn't good. We all came; we were all mothers, so we we were bawling. It was it was terrible. But what we would do was uh, during our biggest fundraisers were doing All Star Weekend, so we mm-hmm. would even get our guys. Sometimes we'd do this big fashion show. We'd pull the guys in. And then as it grew, we were able to get certain celebrities outside of sports people. I mean, you know, sports personalities. Um, at Morgan Freeman, we uh, had uh, Debbie Allen. I don't know. She's a dancer. But anyway, uh, anyway, we would get different guys. But we were gift. Our focus were, was women and children. So your work with that, did that sort of prepare you for founding and Helping run a foundation, or is it different types of work? Absolutely not. You know, <laughs> I mean, just being totally transparent. Yeah. Um, no, it did not. 
when I tell you when we started this uh, foundation, I went to childhood friend, Miss Lisa Bell. I went to Marla Mayberry. I, I went to people that um that I knew were uh they'd been in the Tulsa community mm-hmm. when I was away and I knew what they did. Mm-hmm. And um I uh because when I tell you this was so far above my pay grade, not that I got paid or <laughs> that I do get paid. <laughs> but I Wayman used to say this thing, um Whenever he was interviewed and he was uh, asked questions about his band and how good they were, and he said, really, I'm not really good. He said, but my supporting cast, the people around me make me look good. So my goal was to set out and find people that did this and they mm-hmm. knew what it was all about, and then they would teach me. And it's it's so weird. We literally were sitting in St. John Hospital, and Wayman was he and I together actually chose the board members. So the everyone that we asked, everyone said, okay, but we asked people that we knew that were already in the field. And so they taught, they, well, he didn't get a chance to do, but they taught me. Mm-hmm. And, and it, and when I tell you tears crying, I'm not doing this. I don't, I don't get it. I'm lost. I, you, again, this is above my pay grade. I, you know, if you ask me to for a task, like when I was with behind the bench, mm-hmm. Regina, this is what we want you to do. Even with me being one of the vice presidents, you can give me a task and I can fulfill it. I could do a job. But to be the person that was the name and I'm the one doing giving the mar- marching order, so to speak, I didn't like it. I was very, very cool being the person behind the scenes. I was married to someone that uh, had a huge personality. Uh, in stature and in, I mean, and, and figuratively, he was, he was in the life of the party. And I was cool. I was cool being this one back here doing whatever I did. And, and I, I did a lot of things, but I didn't care if someone knew or not. Mm-hmm. So when I had to be pushed in the front, it was very uncomfortable for me. And I, I told myself maybe a year ago to stop saying, Regina, that this is not what you do. Because clearly I do. <laughs> I, I do now, but for a long time, for years, I did. I was like, as soon as I would get in the mic, this is not what I do. I'm very uncomfortable. That was the first thing that would come out of my mouth. So I finally said, stop it. Just mm-hmm. stop it. Because you know what? Yes, you do. You do it. You, I mean, you may be um, apprehensive. <laughs> you may be a little, no, not a little nervous, a lot nervous when you initially start. But this is what you do now. So. So uh, can you tell a little bit about how your role has changed since when you initially found it and we're learning about it to what you do today? One of the cool things is I was finally, I put myself in a position or we put ourselves in a position that I can have an executive director. So I did not have to cry at night and feel like, oh gosh, my baby is burning or, <laughs> no, I'm serious. It, this, it initially, it caused so much distress because mm-hmm. I wanted everything to work because literally, I mean, now this did happen. I could hear whenever I was nervous, I could hear women saying, Gina, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. I heard that before I was stepping on stage. And so it did create a lot of distress. So we did finally get to a place where I could hire an executive director. And that, that has helped me so, so, so much. So now I, I do get to do what I'm doing today and or TV, which makes me nervous, but I do it. So what's 
changed is I do understand <laughs> the philanthropic <laughs> community a lot more. I realized um what have I learned that Oklahoma City and Tulsa are so separated. <laughs> uh, Oklahoma City wants Oklahoma City money there and Tulsa wants Tulsa money here. I still don't get that. I don't get it. And because of our OU ties, it's weird. It's weird. So I can, I, I, I'm still trying to figure that part out if you can tell. <laughs> but, um, so I'm, I'm more comfortable. And I, and I guess now, I mean, the difference is, is I'm, I'm, I'm quite a bit more comfortable. I, I, I still, and I understand some things better. And, um, gosh, I don't feel like I'm flying blind or solo finally. Yeah. But yeah. I still believe in that strong, strong, strong support and gas. So it's your executive director who can now cries at night, right? Just transfer that over. I don't think he does. <laughs> you know what? Um, young people are are I, I, young people are different. Uh, he's thirty three years old, and he has to me. It seems like five jobs, and I I, I don't know how they do it, but not well. I can tell you. I, I don't. I wouldn't be able to. You know. But but the the crazy is when I hired him, he three other things opened up at the same time for him. <laughs> but he took all three, and so far so good. But I did tell him, I said, okay, I'm gonna give you a year, and I want to see, and if we're failing in any, I mean, at all, then we'll we'll just see then what we need to do. But so far so good. If, if we may tangent slightly into back into. Wayman Tisdale's MBA life. I have I have a couple of questions about just, you know, as a sports fan, you see players getting traded and signing contracts and whatnot. Very rarely do you ever think about the families that are constantly having to move around. And so I was wondering how what was that like on you, on on your children as you moved from Indianapolis to Sacramento and then to Phoenix? This is the funny thing is Wayman growing up in Oklahoma, everybody in Oklahoma loving knowing Wayman Tisdale didn't go into OU. So he's a hometown boy, made good, stayed home. Uh, when OU was, you know, known for football, not basketball. And I remember his father telling him, if you're as good as you say you are, then you'll put basketball on the map at OU. And that's exactly what he did. And I mm-hmm. thought it was so very cool. So it was fun, fun, fun. Then we go to the Pacers. So we get there and he f- he, I remember he flew in and he called me and I'm arranging to go. And he said, don't get on the plane. And I said, well, okay. Okay. <laughs> and then he called back. He said, my agent called and said that there's some contractual things going on. So I'm coming back home. Okay. And so then we get back and you, you know, we get back, you go from everybody loving you and there's billboards and Norman's and one more year, Wayman, people spend money for things like that. And now it's a job. So he's going back and forth. So we finally get there. And then the press ate him alive. Now, that was so, that was new for him. It was hard for him. It was hard for me. We literally stopped taking the paper. And and now, all these years later, we do not take a paper because beat writers are so horrible. So they were, oh, he's gay. He can't got to camp and he's overweight he's not everything he said it, that they said he was this is his you know uh you know he's picked number two and he's not living up to what we want and so finally we get in and things are going along just fine we're 
sitting at home, gone to church, finished cooking dinner. We're sitting there, the phone rings. I answer the phone, and I was like, wait a minute, this is Donnie Walsh. So he was the general, general manager. manager. And, you know, Wayman looked at him. We looked at each other. I handed him the phone, and I'm watching him while he's talking. And he was saying, oh, okay. Oh, all right. Click. And I looked, and I said, what's going on? He said, I just got traded to the Sacramento Kings. I said, and I was like, hmm? <laughs> and so I was like, trade it. Like, I mean, so when, when do, okay, wait, what, what happens? You know? And then literally two minutes later, phone rings again. I answer the phone. It's Bill Russell. Hey, women, this is Bill Russell. You just got traded to Sacramento Kings. We are so excited about you coming. We want you on the first thing you smoking in the morning, in the morning. So all of this took about 20 minutes and your life is flipped. We have a kid in preschool and a six-month-old kid and so we're literally sitting staring at each other and it was like whoa what do we do because and so so the the answer to the question is it's horrible and but nobody sees this and we were in the process of we were in a home we were having a home built Wayman went to Donnie Walsh prior to building the house and he said look what does it look like for me here am I going to be here and it's like, oh, he said, Donnie, look, I'm going to build a home. Is it okay for me? I want to know. Everything is cool. So we end up leaving Sacramento two weeks before getting into this new house. So now we have two houses to sell, and he had to be on the first thing smoking the next day. So, uh, and, and it, it just so happened that my baby sister was there because a trade did last February. So she graduated from Rogers and wasn't sure what she wanted to do. So she came and she would help us with the children. And um, um, I remember Wayman saying, I don't know what's happening or what to look. I mean, I don't know what this looks like because it was something new for us. So he said, I want you to go with me. And so my baby sister said, okay, I have the children. Uh, I'll take them home. And Regina, you go at Wayman. And so we flew in, you know, with these big heavy fur coats on and, and except in the Sacramento, like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa it's hot. <laughs> so I remember Bill Russell coming up and greeting us at the airport. And it's like, you guys won't need those coats anymore. And just kind of <laughs> chuckle, you know. And it, it's really, I mean, you leave everything you have. Or uh, in some instances, the wives, you, you'll stay back. And the wife and her children, you're expected to uh, get everything ready. Now, they're nice enough that they do pay for you to move cross country or wherever you're going. And, but it, it happens, it happens that quickly, literally it's that quick. And you, you have to just get up and go. I mean, because they, they've bought your contract. So if you were in practice here in Indianapolis tomorrow, you're going to be in practice in Sacramento. And and that's how it works. It's crazy. I, know. <laughs> I mean, every time I see a player trade, especially if it's like coast to coast, I'm like, Oh, the poor family. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because and it just so happened that Wayman just he because he went through the emotions of oh my gosh what did I do they don't like me did I say something I he went through that because everybody loved Wayman mm-hmm. and so uh, by the time we were in Sacramento our fifth or sixth year and if rookies came in he said look man this is a job just realize that it's a job you could be here today gone tomorrow uh, you can get hurt someone will have your spot. But just it, you know. And I remember he started telling them, "Make sure the only time that you're upset is the first or fifteenth. Your check doesn't show up." 
But otherwise, this is a job. I thought it's a good life philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, with Wayman, he always had music to fall back on. Right. It seemed like in some ways, music maybe was even his bigger love than well, basketball was. Mm-hmm. And uh, But a lot of players, I'm sure he interacted with, didn't have anything else. That was everything they had. It felt like he was maybe more prepared for life after the NBA than a lot of people. I think he was. He, um, and you're right. If you heard any interview that Wayman did and, um, and they would ask him what was his first love, he would tell you it was, it was music. And with his father have been, having been a pastor, uh, music, of course, was a real big thing in their family. And there was times when he said it's he and his brothers and his dad. I mean, they were the music for the church sometimes. And, and it's true when he, uh, if he had a bad game, or if he did, he would grab that guitar, and he'd sit back. I mean, and it's, you know, serenade himself, or it just took him away. It took him mm-hmm. away. And so when, uh, actually, it was when we were in Sacramento, and one of his musician friends, and it's weird because musicians fall in love with athletes, and athletes have this, you know, they have this, uh, what is this thing when guys. Like it, what do they call it? Bromance. Bromance. Yes, that's it. So he had so many uh, musician friends that were crazy about him, and vice versa, because the musicians want to be athletes, and mm-hmm. you know. So uh, one of his uh, friends that was a, a huge musician still still is a big, huge jazz guy now. Marcus Miller. He told him one day. He said, "You know what?" He said, "You could do this for real." And when was like, "Are you serious?" And, and it, because, of course, he said, I just felt like I was just okay. He said, no, Wayman, you can really be, I mean, I mean, a legitimate musician. And so he started buying gear. I'm, just, you know, I'm listening to your uh, incredible mics and headphones and your gear. And he started buying the things that he needed. And in the off season, he'd play around with it. And then finally, he... um I remember we would be in bed and he had this uh, little recorder and he would hum something. And maybe two or three days later, he would ask me to come out in the studio and it was a full song. And it still amazed me all the years that we'd been, I mean, from 16 years old to even when he passed away, it was amazing to me that this few just humming sounds that he was make was a full blown song, you know? So um, yeah, he really did love music and music. You know, when his father passed, that was the only time that I, that really, really, truly the music stopped. It took him, I don't know, four or five months before he could, he could do anything, uh, before he can pick up. I mean, the guitar, he, nothing made him happy. He was, he was grieving. And so when he was able to pick it back up, um, I remember that album being so, such an emotional thing for him. Uh, but, but yeah, music music was his um, his avenue of escape. Like he literally, they were going on road trips to play the Knicks or the and he would uh, have his that guitar over his shoulder, and and then of course when Apple came out, you could actually record on. So he had his laptop, he had the guitar, and he literally, I mean, he would write songs when he was on the road for basketball. That's cool. Yeah, I mean. They have they have downtime in between games. Like it's you, yeah. it's good to have something to do. Yeah, look, kept him out of trouble. Yep. <laughs> yep. Transitioning back to the foundation, in the nine to ten years it's been active, what has been like other than 
people not being uninsured and prosthetics being very expensive. What else has come up that's been a sort of a problem you didn't foresee when you started doing this kind of work? That there's politics and everything. And then something to me that I would feel like is so simple as, okay, guys, you see that there's a need. It's, there's a need. I mean, and to me, that, that it's just black and white. There's a need. Uh, so so why are we fighting? I mean, and, and, and in my mind, it should be simple, but it's not. And I do understand checks and balances and whatnot, but, um, for yeah. That that I don't I don't under, I don't I still don't I don't get that part of it. Also, I feel like the way hospitals do their billing is incredibly confusing just to everyone. I'm like, why am I getting my third bill for this thing I thought I already paid? Oh yeah, yeah. You, <laughs> well, I imagine that makes it difficult when you're trying to financially help someone in this case because it's nearly impossible to predict what the cost of something is going to be. So this is what we have to do. This past year. Actually, we did it on it for two years. We had one recipient that was a child. We never had a child because, uh, you know, there's St. Jude's. There's so many, so many, many, many places and organizations that have children. So we helped this little girl eaten, and we knew it would take a while. And and it's because children are constantly growing. So we did decide, okay, we're going to do two years, but we're going to cap how much money we're going to do. Uh, give and that's what, what what you have to do so so then that way there's no surprises because I, I told him I said I was very very leery about even accepting it because I said this baby she's a baby she's she's gonna grow and mm-hmm. so yeah so you everything we do with the foundation it's I mean, it has to be cut and dry this is how much money we're gonna get and then when we you know did our deal with Scott Savage which is the process is that okay this is we get this is what we get for this much money mm-hmm. and then so no surprises like you and I so that and that seems to be one of the the hardest things with any foundation or anytime you're helping people is because you have to balance helping as many people as possible being good steward of of the money that's right. there to do that versus when you're dealing with individuals who need the help you know right. trying to balance those two right. things right and and I tell you they'll send stories and I'm I'm something of a wimp when depending on what things are, quite a few things, but in um a bleeding heart and if I feel like someone needs something and if I could help them, you know, I I want to help them. And mm-hmm. and you but if I I'm finally got to the place um where I know that okay Regina, you can only this is how much money we can spend per year and mm-hmm. this is what we have to do. I was going to ask about the foundation. Like, is it at this point mostly funded by, you know, outside donations or is it still, is there a sort of a core from, you know, when you began that you're able to use? Um, We uh, initially, it was just, it was, it was outside when Wayman passed. I mean, TNT, Charles, I mean, his old teammates, money, money, money. And I still have things that come in from the NBA. Um, a golf tournament every year. Initially, we we did too. We were we would go to Oklahoma City and do a golf tournament, and uh, which that divide that I talk about. Mm-hmm. So the Oklahoma City people would give do one, and then that money would come here, and um, and we do one here. 
And then we also, this year was the first time we did a gala and it, I was so excited. It was so much fun. But with the uh, gala, I've gone out and uh, I've get some of his old teammates and or friends and those guys are the speakers. Uh, um, and then uh, Spud Webb, uh, John Starks. Spud Webb. Uh-huh. The, so the, those are the, their golfers. So they come. So I, then I get golfers and then I have... Um, because my children are at uh, OU with uh, Tommy Harris and uh, Adrian Peterson and then Felix Jones. They were at Booker T together. Felix mm-hmm. was in Dallas, but then Felix went to Arc. Anyway, so uh, so I get those athletes to come in and uh, to do the golf tournament. So it's golf tournament folk, and then uh, and then when we did our initial uh, launch. For the Women Tisdale Foundation, we brought a jazz musician in. So actually, I've had two jazz musicians come in and do some things for us. So I I keep my fundraising. The things that we do is around athletes and musicians. Mm-hmm. So I'm 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 curious because like again, like the '90s NBA was my was my jam. Um, how did Spud Webb and Wayman just meet? Like th- through the league, or Spud, were they? Spud was with us in um, Sacramento. Okay. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah, he was what doesn't. He gave he gave every every short person the dream that they could play in the NBA. <laughs> yeah, gosh, I don't. And now to me, the NBA is rather small to me because Spud did come long first, and then Muggsy Bowl came behind him, mm-hmm. and so I was really upset when um oh gosh from Louisiana when he was at OU oh I could see oh, his face. Um... Hollis Price? Hollis. When Hollis didn't make it, I was like, well, I know. why not? And he I was know. such a nice guy. Yeah, he was. I, I, was, was I loved Hollis. But so, we, we were in, we were at, at OU at the same time yeah. Yeah. as okay. Hollis. Yeah. Okay, so you guys were there when my oh, older, yeah. older son was there, too, then. Yeah. And if you, especially if you recognize Tommy Harris. Because, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They were also friends of my oldest daughter. So, yeah. Uh, but I really, I thought Hollis would. Make it, but I think he and Qantas both ended up in Europe somewhere. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. Hulls played for France at least for a little while because mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember seeing that. But yeah, it's again like the NBA is in comparison like the NFL and whatnot. The, the chances of actually making it to the big league is very small because almost every college has a basketball team, mm-hmm. but there's only twelve people per NBA team. Yeah, that's not yeah, a lot. Yeah, and I think there's. It's, I used to know the exact number, but there's only like two hundred and something. Two hundred and I can't remember the name, but there's only mm. 200 spots in yeah. all of in NBA. Yeah. yeah, and then you consider that guys stay 12. Now they're playing longer because mm-hmm. they don't play. They don't. They're doing all that banging on the inside that mm-hmm. Wayman and those guys did. You know, have oh, someone yeah. as tall as Dirk uh, that played 17 years, and then Tim just like Sam just did our gala, and so as we were sitting next to each other. Uh, before and I, I and I don't know why I didn't know he was the best man when we got married too. And I remember leaning over and said, "Hey, how long? How many years did you play?" And when he told me sixteen, I was like, "Really?" <laughs> you know, but because usually someone that I mean, a six foot eleven guy, you usually don't. I mean, they're, they're torn. Their body it tears their yeah. bodies down. Mm-hmm. But it's something you said earlier too. When Wayman left at twelve, he had teens calling trying to get him to stay. I remember Danny. Uh, Ainge called him over and over, and he's like, Wayman, but you could still be making this much money. And Wayman's like, It's not fun anymore. Right. So, 
So, but Wayman has something to do. So for guys that all they know is basketball, mm-hmm. they have to stay because, yeah. I mean, that's all they know. If, if it's them having to ice their knees every second they're not playing the game, that's what they'll do. And and I remember Wayman saying that one time. He said, I will not walk away here crippled. He mm-hmm. said, I just, I don't want it. And and like I said, I don't know if you pay attention to, what is it, with Shaq, uh, Kenny Smith, mm-hmm. and Charles. But when they go back to the board to, to write, have you paid attention to the way Kenny Smith walks? I, I I don't think I've noticed. Okay, yeah. w- watch. Kenny was with us in Sacramento too, but watch mm-hmm. and sport. I mean, it it beats him up bad, yeah, bad. And the, and then we were. I was just in L.A. a couple of weeks back, but Mitch Richmond just had knee surgery, and mm-hmm. it's it's rough. It's I, rough. I loved Mitch Richmond as a yeah. as a kid. Like he was just like the perfect shot guard. Yeah, and, uh, he was great in video games. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know you mentioned that that trade to Sacramento was rough, but he did end up on a pretty fun oh, team for yeah. a few he, years he, there. He did, and and I made we made some lifelong friends and the NBA girlfriends. We get together every year, so we were in the LA area then, and then in October we just went back because Mitch and his wife Julie, they just lost their youngest son, and so I was so I just went back. To, I had to turn around and go right back for a funeral, so it was not good, but. We've we've just been friends forever. Oh gosh, some of us more than thirty years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of fundraising for the foundation, other than donating on your website, which I saw there was a very large button. So well done there, web designer. Yeah. Um, we'll make sure and post a link to that. Yes, too, we will. So people can I we will. That. Do you have any any of those golfing tournaments or events coming up that? Everything that we do is September and October. And I I don't know how I fell to Miss Soul Fest and I did uh, because we do that with uh, GK in conduction with GKFF but mm-hmm. uh, and that thing too is a big it's a big music festival right. but so uh, the Women to Zeph Foundation is we're in, involved in that one in the sense of I I just have to kind of show up I love those <laughs> <laughs> but but they donate uh, money every year. Uh, to the foundation. And um, we were, I mean, we were very, very involved, of course, in picking a talent and things like that for the festival, but it's a, it's turned out to be a very, very cool thing. I love it. I mean, well, I love music. So a question just occurred to me, which is um, since in in the decade, this foundation has been going on, has the cost of prosthetics gone up or down or have these become more sort of technologically advanced as they become more expensive? You know what? The technology behind it is so amazing to me. But but I, even even when we, you and I were just mentioning surgery, uh, medicine in itself is amazing. And so uh, these things, uh, a prosthetic device has like a Bluetooth chip. So it because and it has to be charged, you mm-hmm. know, and it but it has this mechanism in it. If, for instance, if Waymo was walking and if he felt off balance, it has this thing and it, it'll like it would kick the, it out to keep to help him with his balance <laughs> to keep him from falling. Wow! So it, it's amazing, but but for us, I've not noticed a change in, in what we pay. And maybe Scott is just savage is doing that for us. I don't, but I've not noticed an uptick. But I have noticed that they look a lot more robotic and, but I think that's very cool. So yeah. I, I love the, the look. So yeah. No, the more things they can do to help the person avoid re-injuring themselves, right. the better. Right. So. Exactly. So how many people have you helped? Nine, nine, nine or 10, nine to 10. And th- this is the weird thing is I remember 
the places of where these people are from and their stories more than their names. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, this past year, it was Eaton, I remember, because she was our first baby. And the very first person we helped, he had, he was, he worked on his grandfather's farm and got caught in, it was, it was ugly, but his grandfather promised to take care of things and then just decided not to. And he was only 24, five years old. But what are, this is funny, I, not the accident. I remember it because he's from Hennessy, Oklahoma. I had never heard of Hennessy, mm-hmm. Oklahoma. The only thing I know about Hennessy is Hennessy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, trying to do is two per year. And then sometimes we've had, okay, so 10. I, I, I miss Steve. So we have, uh, because I can't think of his name, Hennessy, Oklahoma, um, Steve from the church, uh, the coach at Jinx, Steve. Uh, uh, the, okay, we remember we had one woman and she she just disappeared. We gave her the device and and we we don't know what happened. Then it was the African American girl that her whole family was there. Then it was the Hispanic guy, and then the one gentleman because he 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 got up and danced and told me he was going to dance at his daughter's wedding. And thank you so much because I mean, some of these I, my eyes are so full of water when I talk to these people, and then. One person was wet, fell off the porch, and then there was some type of infection set in wow. that caused them to lose their leg. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I remember the stories better. Um, and then Tommy Harris, senior, Tommy's father. Mm-hmm. They, you know, Tommy's from Colleen. He's uh, he'd been going back and forth to the VA, and they it it was falling off. They, but I think what the VA does is they take. Uh, parts that they had and they'll try to recreate, but you really can't recreate or use old parts to fit someone else because all of our anatomy is totally different, Mm -hmm. you know? So then it was Mr. Harris. Then it was the girl in Okmulgee that was in a car wreck and her girlfriend died. They got hit. A guy decided that he wanted to commit suicide. So he goes on the other side of the lane and crashes into the car, kills her girlfriend, her childhood girlfriend, but then she lost, the one that survived lost mm-hmm. her leg. Mm-hmm. So it was her and I don't yes. know in Eaton. So the last two was Eaton and Mr. Harris. So, so, okay. So it's more than anything. So at least 11. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'll keep in some of those stories. Those stories were, were fascinating because, yeah. you know, I think, I think either sports injuries or car accidents. I didn't, I'm, diabetes was in the back of my head, but I wasn't, I wasn't thinking that would be mm-hmm. well. And if you're, if you're giving, you know, two people a year up to what twenty to thirty thousand yeah. dollars. You have to, yeah. You know, those yeah. are decisions you have to make. Yeah, right. Like you said, if you can help, you can help two people who you know may have a prosthetic for a very long time. Right, right. Because, like you said, it's not like you can reuse easily reuse prosthetic. Yeah, I think they they said that they could use like the actual point that's the joint or things like that, but the actual. Uh, socket that fits mm-hmm. here and the, it, they can't i mean because yeah. you know it's all it's all like they literally stick you in this stuff and, and make this mold around you know to fit you mm-hmm. and so none of the four of us would fit one another's right but do, they, do they make the mold like before they amputate is that no, what they do no. okay if we went um 
appointment, had the surgery, and I think maybe three <coughs> to four weeks later. I mean, mm-hmm. and it just depends on how how quickly you healed. Of course, Wayman healed a, a lot quicker than someone that was a diabetic because he, he I mean, he didn't have any issues healing. Mm-hmm. So they had a horrible disease, but but apparently, uh, from what I'm learning now about uh, someone that's a diabetic is that's one of the a big issue is healing. Mm-hmm. You know, so I guess. When you don't have enough insulin, I don't know. I don't. I'm yeah. Look, I at one point I learned more about cancer than I ever cared for. Yeah. I don't want to learn about another one that. Thank God I don't. Have to, I just know the healing process is longer. Mm-hmm. That's what I know about diabetes. That's it. Diabetes is bad. We can say that. We're gonna go on that limb here. I'm pot <laughs> for good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for. Uh, joining us today we we have an activity we do with our guests which is that um we have them sort of look around our nerd cave here Mm -hmm. and either pick out something that calls to them or something that confuses them and And we can explain ask about yes (laughs) and so we'll give you we'll give you a minute or two to look around and we'll of course edit out that part which never sounds as natural as i would like it to actually but but what is blaring at me and maybe because it's in my face as the woman on the piano with mm. the music and the fire. Yes. That... I, I'm not yet read. Outlaw keeps saying this music saved my life. And I didn't read the right. And music saves me. Saves okay. me still. Okay. It's, and that makes so much sense to me. I You don't may not even have to explain it to me because I know what it did for Wayman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. but you can. You can. It, well, and who is Hurt Sumner? Alice Hurt Sumner. So, Alice, so this uh, painting was done by a uh, Jinx high school student oh. for a... Um, Yomashoa Holocaust Remembrance Day art competition. And what she did was she's uh, used the quote by a Holocaust survivor Uh who used music to sort of survive the experience and painted it. And I just, I always loved it and it, it didn't win in the competition, but I asked her if I could keep it because I liked it so much. I wasn't, I wasn't a judge. I wasn't allowed to vote, (laughs) but I loved it. And I was like, can I, I was like, you know, I'm talking to like a, you know, 16 year old girl. I was like, can I, Keep your painting. She's like, yeah. I'm like, sweet. So, um, but yeah, so that's what that is. And that's also been chosen once before. This is exciting. It's, yeah. it's good to see the, 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 the rhythms of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've, I mean, well, of course it's right there in my vision and I, and again, like I said, the music thing, but, and I, I've, I've, I don't know why I've just, I just have read, I've sit here two or three times. I read the first line and didn't read the rest of it. And um, I, my children and I, we talk about music all the time. Of course, we were always around it, and we still are. We really love it. And um, I was just telling my daughter last week, um, it was around Thanksgiving, I was having a rough day because holidays are still rough for me with Wayman being gone. And I heard something on the radio, and I told her, I said, gosh, this song sent me in a tailspin day. You know, and I've been trying to pull myself out all day. And then we finally said, you know, music evokes such a gamut of emotions. It will make you laugh. It will make you cry. Um, it'll some stuff we laugh and like, oh gosh, that's trash. And then some things were like, oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. Um, so, but it really does. I mean, it'll send me back to a place in time that mm-hmm. women and I were doing whatever, or not even five or six months ago, and th- this is something women and I would do. If I'm driving and I'm listening to something in it and I feel like it's a super cool song, 
I would call him like, hey, I just heard this new song and it's blah, blah, blah. And literally six months ago, it the thought ran across my mind because it's something new. And I said, I'm going to call. And then I was like, no, you're not going to call him. And the crazy thing is he's been gone 10 years and I still have those little like brain fart things that, that I can still reach out or I'm going to call him or, and According to my therapist, there's absolutely nothing wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like you can trust your therapist when they say that because it's in that person's best interest for you not to be okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's an honest therapist right there. <laughs> well, I mean, and it, but it's I, I, I decided that it really is true because it's just October when Mitch and Julie Richmond lost their son and she called me. And she said, is it crazy that I'm, I go out to the cemetery? I was like, absolutely not. I said, whatever you feel like doing is what you're supposed to do. And my friend here, she'll, she seems, it seems like she knows when I'm, I'm falling into the abyss, as I call it. And, and what she tells me and has been telling me for 10 years is Regina, breathe. And so I now have been telling Julie just, Breathe, Julie, just because just take a deep breath, because it, it seems like a cleansing breath kind of gets me past that little really rough spot. You'll be back there, but at least just take a deep breath. Just breathe. Just breathe. So That's good advice for all of us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thank you again so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Pod for Good. If you want to find out more about the Wayman Tisdale Foundation, you can go to their website, which is waymantisdale.org, and make sure you have your speakers up, because you'll hear some sweet, awesome Wayman Tisdale jazz music when you go visit the website. To keep up with what Podcast for Good is doing, please like our Facebook page, which is Podcast for Good. You can follow us on Twitter at pods, the number four good. And please don't forget to Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Get done, Telsa. So.